Our scripture this morning is found over on page 3. It's from Numbers 5. Uh, we're going to be studying the first 10 verses, all of which are, are printed out there in your in your bulletin, or you can find it in the, uh, the black Bibles that are on, in the um, bookshelf in the foyer. Numbers 5, if you've been with us, we've been studying the book of Numbers uh, this year so far, uh, looking at this phase of God's work among his people in the wilderness, right, delivered out of the slavery in Egypt, but not yet in the promised land, and here God is at work among his people. So far, what we've looked at is uh, chapter 1, where we saw the, the census of God's people, especially the, uh, the, the fighting army of Israel. Uh, chapter 2, last week we looked at the arrangement of the camp there in the wilderness. Uh, chapter 3, we talked about two weeks ago in the work of the Levites as the, the guardians of holiness. Uh, we're going to skip over chapter 4. Uh, that has to do with, again, with the Levites and some details of, of the specific work that they do in the midst of the different pieces of the tabernacle. I encourage you, you can read that and make the connections. Uh, but we're not going to cover every little bit of Leviticus. It would just take us too long trying to get the highlights. Going into chapter 5 this week. Chapter 5 uh, deals with three different situations of unholiness in the midst of the camp of God's people. And how does that work, right? A, a holy God dwelling right in the midst of his people. What happens when there's unholiness that comes? And chapter 5 walks through three different situations. We're going to cover the first two this week and then save the, the final, longer, more complicated one for Lord willing two weeks from today. Uh, but let's read verses 1 to 10 as we, as we turn to God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him uh, to whom he did the wrong. But if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong shall go to the Lord for the priest, uh, in addition to the ram of atonement, with which atonement is made for him. And every contribution, all the donations of the people of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. Each one shall keep his holy donations. Whatever anyone gives to the priest shall be his. So let's uh, look to the Lord uh, in prayer today. Father, we, we commit uh, your word and our study of it together. We pray that your truth might be, might be proclaimed and received, and Lord, it would bear great fruit in our lives, that we might see the glory of your work, uh, Lord, and trust you more. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, so kids, let me ask you a question. What if you were to have a conversation with your goldfish? So there's your goldfish in the little bowl, 
and you're having a little conversation with your goldfish, let's say the goldfish could talk, and you're asking your goldfish to tell you about what it's like to swim in water all the time. Tell me about water, goldfish. Do you think he'd be able to describe it very well? No. I think you're right. I think you're right. Right, because if you think about it, a goldfish is so familiar with swimming in water day after day after day. It's just normal. It's just every day. It's just, it's hard to understand the uniqueness or the, the privilege or the beauty or the interest of something you're swimming in all the time. Uh, so here's the question. Could it be that we as, as God's people are in a similar situation when it comes to the good news of Jesus? That, that the gospel is just so familiar to us. We hear about it week in and week out for some of us decades and decades it just kind of becomes like that's the water we swim in. Uh, and so, so familiar, uh, so commonplace, it's almost pedestrian, uh, hard to really appreciate the, the glory of it. Well, this is why the Old Testament can be so very helpful. Because you go back into the Old Testament world, and it's so very different. Uh, and it points quite weird. Uh, and and the, it's the uniqueness of it, uh, the difference of it, that can make it useful. Because by understanding and launching into this strange world, things can pop out at us that might not just swimming around the, the, what we're used to. And especially when we realize what the Old Testament was designed to do. You might remember Paul even talked about numbers itself and said this was for our instruction. In other words, God designed these things, and, and even the, the strange things that we're not repeating today, but that different world, so that we can learn from it, so that we can grow. And that's exactly what we're going to do throughout our study, and specifically this morning, as God shows us in some, some different pictures about the ugliness of sin and about the greatness of his salvation. He's going to use Old Testament pictures uh, to do it, and, and this and this strange world of, of the old covenant and God's people in the wilderness, particularly what happens uh, when sin uh, gets near a holy God. How do you deal with that? And again, it's the, this picture of the Israelites in the wilderness, and they have a very physical representation of this. Here are God's people uh, camped around, and we said last week the whole point, the big theme of the camp is God's right there in the middle, right? That tabernacle, that holy tent, the, the glory presence of God dwelling there in a special way. And so here's God in the midst of his people. This is wonderful, glorious, spectacular. But it also brings up a big problem. Holy God dwelling in, right in the midst of his people. What happens when the people are not so holy? What then? And what we have this morning in chapter 5 is actually three different categories of unholiness. Uh, ceremonial unholiness, moral unholiness, and then we'll get next week uh, to relational, and, or two weeks from now, relational marital unholiness. Uh, we're going to cover the first two today, but that, that same theme. Sin in the midst of a holy God, how does that work? Okay, so let's, let's go uh, to the first one, verses 1 through 4. Uh, ceremonial uncleanness, uh, what it shows us is this vivid picture of 
sin as a need to be cleansed. Uh, sin is so bad, there's a need to be cleansed. So first it teaches us what sin is all about. Sin defiles and it, it separates. You know, first, verses 1 through 4, this is all ceremonial provisions, ceremonial law. In other words, these are aspects of the Old Testament that no longer apply to God's people today. Jesus is quite specific, both in his, his actions and in his words, uh, that there, this whole class of ceremonial provisions and laws of the Old Testament are, are, are not applicable to, to his people after his coming. He fulfills it and, and now uh, no longer uh, required to follow it. So what we're reading about is in verses 1 to 4 is not you go and do likewise. That's not what we're talking about. Um, and and it's, it's helpful to emphasize that because uh, we, sh- we should add, especially as we get into different aspects of, of bodily life, right, skin diseases and bodily discharges and stuff, to, to make the point that th- these are ceremonial pictures, not moral categories. So there is nothing inherently sinful uh, or even inherently shameful about a skin disease or a bodily discharge. That's not the point. Um, the point is, not even proper hygiene, by the way. Uh, this isn't primarily about community health within the camp, though there might be some fringe benefits. Uh, there, the point is all about pictures of holiness and, and unholiness. right? So it's God's teaching his people through, through pictures. Um, and the pictures for us of of the dangers of sin in the midst of a holy God. So here in this ceremonial world of the old old covenant, uh, you have certain things in the midst of daily life that would make an Old Testament Israelite unclean, uh, unholy uh, in the midst uh, midst of the camp. And we're given three examples of of what could do that in in verse 2. Three examples of things that would make you ceremonially unclean. Uh, Leprosy, kind of a collection of uh, ancient skin diseases, uh, a discharge of blood or other bodily fluid, uh, or a contact with a dead body. So these, if you if you were engaged or had any of this contact, then that would mean you would be ceremonially unclean uh, in the midst of the Old Testament world. Um, you might ask why. Uh, again, we've tried to say, it's worth saying again, it's not because any of these things are inherently sinful or shameful. Nope, not that. Uh, so what's the, what's the common theme here? God teaching with pictures, and there does seem to be a common theme among them. Why God would choose these things and other things to make this, this uh, sermon illustration, as it were, for God's old covenant people. The common theme seems to be disorder, decay, and death. Right? So disorder, decay, and death. So leprosy, a, a kind of death of the skin, like kind of a wasting of... Uh, of, of your, your skin, your outward body. Uh, a, a loss of bodily fluids. Remember in the ancient world, uh, especially in the Old Testament world, uh, life is considered bound up with blood, for example, but also other bodily fluids. Leviticus even says it. Life is in the blood. Right? That's the picture. So for a, an individual to have a loss of blood, it's this, this ceremonial picture of you're losing life. Right? It's a picture of death. Uh, and, of course, contact with a dead body, that's all about death and decay. Uh, so you see, get this, this common theme, uh, the theme of being, of being death. And, and you can start to see how this would be a, a type of sermon illustration, uh, a type of picture 
of, of the, the ugliness of sin. Because after all, isn't that what sin is and brings? It brings death. Remember how Paul puts it? He says the wages of sin is, is death. Uh, it's it, it's uh, sin that brings disorder, decay, and death into the world. Right? This, that's not how God created it. Uh, he created it without any kind of decay or death. But it's our sin as individuals and as a people that brings this kind of ugliness, uh, death, and, and decay. Uh, so you could start to see then how this could present, again, a, a ceremonial problem in the camp. Because what's the whole point of the camp? Oh, God, smack dab in the middle. God, the Holy One, the Pure One, the, the, the Life Giver, the One who is life. And then in, in His very presence, in His, in his camp, you have, you have things that, that, that shout out decay, Death, pollution, uh, right? It's it's this picture of the ugliness of sin before a, before a holy God. So what are they told to do with it? Well, verse 3, uh, any of these situations come up, you shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. So if you become unclean in these ways, ceremonially unclean, what do, you, what do you have to do? You have to leave the camp. You see the picture there, right? Right. The whole point of the camp is God's there. But if you are, are defiled in this way, ceremonially unclean, you've got to leave the camp. Leave the presence of God. Right? You start to see the picture. Uh, it's a picture of, of, of sin, a lesson of sin. That what sin does is it defiles and separates us from a holy God. Uh, sin is not just isolated actions that we do. A little bad word there, a little unkind action there. No, no sin, yes, it involves individual actions, but it, it brings something with it. It, it is, has this defiling, decaying, polluting influence uh, upon our, our humanity, humanity as a whole and, and us as, as individuals. Um, right? How are we created as as those in the image of God, we're created to, to reflect God's holiness, where we're created to, to have that life that would match who God is and to dwell with him. Uh, but instead, here you have this exact opposite, uh, this, this disorder, this decay of our humanity, because sin is brought in. Uh, pollution, unholiness. Um, uh, kids, Moses and I have been reading a really cool book together. Can I show it to you? I know you're, some of you guys are all the way in the back, so you can come up to me after if you want to see it up, up in person. We've been reading this really cool book together. It's called Theology, uh, and it's basically like a systematic theology for kids. It's quite cool. Uh, great pictures and illustrations, and, and we're about halfway done. Lots of fun. But, but there's this really interesting, vivid, memorable picture of the ugliness of sin. Uh, it's a little gross, but it makes the point. So here, here's the, what the author's talking about, sin and its ugliness, all this stuff we're talking about. And it gives a picture of this nice glass of water, crystal clear, and then there's this bird that sits on the edge of the glass and poops in the glass. <laughs> would, would, would any of you want to get near that glass of water then? Right? It's, it's ugh, get it away. Right? It's, it's polluted. It's, it's defiled. And the author is making, making the, the memorable point 
That's, that's what sin does to our humanity. Uh, right? It's not that we're all evil all the time, but sin has this polluting, defiling influence. And, and God, uh, being, being the Holy One, you know, it's like our gut reaction to that, to that glass now. It's like, oh, I want no part of that, right? Because God is, is pure. And that picture is, is here pictured in, in the Old Covenant terms as, uh, here as, as this ceremonial uncleanness outside the camp. And it's, a, it's an Old Covenant picture of what's really the core problem of our humanity, is that our, not only do we commit sin, but our sin so defiles us, pollutes us, that we are unfit to be in the presence of God, uh, both, both now and, and for all eternity. Uh, so uh, to, to somehow not be separated him, from him permanently, there has to be some kind of rescue, some kind of way to take a polluted glass of water and, and make it clean again. So the, the initial picture, sin separates and defiles. What hope is there? Jesus. Jesus cleanses and welcomes. So here you have Jesus, uh, God himself. Remember last week we even saw how John presents Jesus as the tabernacle. That Jesus is the one who tabernacles, who dwells right among his people. Right? So it's kind of taking that Old Testament picture. Here's Jesus. He shows up, God, right in the middle of his people. And what is Jesus, God himself, come to do? Uh, not to condemn and separate, but he comes to cleanse and welcome. Um, actually, Jesus makes this point in very vivid colors with these same ceremonial pictures of the Old Covenant. Right? If we had time, we could flip open our Bibles to, to Luke 5, 6, 7, and 8, uh, where in those chapters, Jesus essentially walks down the Numbers 5 list. He encounters each and every one of these instances of uncleanness, and you see what he does to it. So, Luke 5, there's a man full of leprosy. Jesus, tabernacle son of God, touches the man and says, be clean. Luke 8, a woman with an issue of blood uh, touches Jesus. Does he send her away, rebuke, separate? No. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Luke 7. Uh, you have the widow of Nain, uh, with her, her only son, her dead son, being carried dead body through the streets. And Jesus goes up and he touches the body and says, arise, arise, young man. And, the, and, and in each of these instances, young man arises, woman healed, leper cleansed. You start to see the point, right? Here is Jesus. He's, he's going into that Old Testament world. He's walking through the Numbers 5 list, and he's fixing the problem. He's cleansing the defiled. He's, he's, he's pushing out the pollution and welcoming. Uh, ultimately, of course, this is what Jesus does and accomplishes through the cross. Uh, Jesus goes to the cross. He becomes unclean in order to wash us clean. You could even put the cross in, in Numbers 5 categories, can't you? Because there at the cross, you, you, have, you have his skin torn, death decay in his, in his skin. You have Jesus with a, with a flow of blood. And you have Jesus who goes to death itself there at the cross. He becomes unclean. 
Actually, Numbers thir- or excuse me, Hebrews 13 makes this point uh, about Jesus and his death, uh, connecting it to the language of Numbers 5. He, he makes the point, Hebrews does, that Jesus died outside the walls of Jerusalem and puts it this way, he died, he suffered outside the camp. Right? You get the idea. Jesus is put out of the camp and there treated as unclean. Right? The very thing that, that, that polluted sinners in this Old Testament picture, right? Got to leave the presence of God, put him outside the camp. And Jesus is the one who goes through that. He's put outside the camp. He's treated as unclean. He walks through and bears all this pollution pictures. And we know it is just a picture of what he's ultimately bearing, which is our sin, our real sin pollution and its ugliness, in order to bear it for us. In order that he dying and then rising cleanses all who come to him. Right? It's, it's Jesus fixing the problem. Jesus shouldering our, our sin, taking on our pollution, so that he might uh, not condemn us and drive us away, but cleanse us and welcome us. Which is why if you, if you have this Jesus, right, you're, you're connected to him because you're trusting in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit has done that work in your life. If you're trusting in Christ, uh, then, then, then you bore your pollution, and you don't bear it anymore. Uh, he, he, you're, you're not one who is then viewed in God's sight as polluted, get outside the camp. In fact, you could, you could really say that what God's message to you this morning is, what, what Jesus himself is saying to you, is exactly those words in Luke 4, 5, 5, 6, 7, and 8. That Jesus comes to you, believer. He puts his hand on you, even here through his word and spirit. He puts his hand on you and says, be clean. He says, young man, arise. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That's God's word to you. Because Jesus took the pollution. Because he was made unclean and dealt with it, bared the guilt, and there's none left for you. So in, your, in God's sight, because of his work, you're, you're clean. And it's, it's this message of go in peace. Go in peace. That's why we trust him. That's why we cling to him, and that's why we delight in his salvation. Now we're going to turn to the second part of the passage. We'll do this one a little quicker because it's a little more straightforward. Uh, But it's a different, uh, uh, same message, but a slightly different perspective on sin. So in the first part, it was sin and the need to be cleansed. Now it's sin and the need for a price to be paid. So this is verses 5 through 10. Uh, and it's the, the circumstances kind of vaguely described in verse 6, uh, when a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith. Okay, well, what sins are we talking about? Verse 7 gets it more specific, helps to fill in the blanks. Uh, because the solution is, he shall confess his sin that he's committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it, and giving it to whom he did the wrong. So you get the idea. We're talking about sins that you can put a price tag on. Uh, So a a collection of sins where one person defrauds his neighbor. Actually, uh, most scholars think that what what Numbers is doing here is giving a quick summary of what Leviticus 5 and 6 does in in more broad terms. And you read Leviticus 5 and 6, and it kind of goes through a more detailed description of, yeah, we're talking about if an Israelite 
uh, outright robs his neighbor, uh, or if he does wrong stealing from them by holding on to a security deposit wrongly, or withholding wages, or, or finding something that belongs to somebody else, but he keeps it. You know, and all these different ways that one person could steal, defraud uh, from a, another, uh, from his neighbor. And so the instruction is, make full restitution. Right? Pay it back. Actually, pay it all back plus a fifth, plus 20%. Right? We might say in modern legalese, uh, pay the compensatory damages plus the punitive damages. Right? right? Full restitution plus 20%. There's even provision, this is apparently so important, there's even provision uh, that, that if the, the person you stole from is now dead, uh, when you, you know, you're convicted of this, uh, you realize you're guilty or convicted, the person you stole from, he's dead now, in fact, his whole family uh, no, longer, uh, no longer is alive, you still have to pray it back. Here's how you do it. You give it to the Lord through the priest. So in other words, it's, this is so important. This is not just like, okay, here's how we get along as people. No, no, this is a point being sin is costly, and the price needs to be paid. Uh, sin is costly. So yes, it, it does very specifically remind us that God does care about what we do in our economic life, right? our, our, our monetary life. God really does care about the details of that. Uh, we, we can't just say, well, you know, business is business, you know. I actually had a, a professing believer say that to me one time in describing how he how he did sales, and he kind of was talking about how he, he he lied in the midst of it, basically. And I say, well, that's just how you do it. Well, God really cares about how we do our economic life, uh, and we're do it to do it honestly and justly. And if we defraud and if we steal, that's that's sin. Uh, that, that's an offense to God. But it is this larger point that's being made, again, in a different type of picture here, not a ceremonial picture, but, but a, a moral picture. It's this larger point that sin is costly. Sin is costly, right? Monetary terms, it's costly, uh, but also relational terms, uh, it's, it's costly. Because clearly, if you're defrauding your neighbor, then you're breaking that relationship, clearly, uh, but also the point is made here that when you defraud your neighbor, there's also this breach of faith with God. Did you catch that in verse 6? That these same sins, yeah, you're sinning against your neighbor, but it's described as breaking faith with the Lord. It's breaking this covenant relationship with God. You're, you're called, as God's people would be, called to reflect his goodness, his holiness, his justice. Uh, to walk in his ways and reflect his character that you wear as a as a covenant believer. Well, to sin against your neighbor in this way, therefore, is, is this break of faith with the Lord. Uh, which is why the provision here in the Old Covenant is, in addition to making restitution to your neighbor, verse 8, it said, in addition, the ram of atonement, to which atonement is to be made. In other words, you pay back your neighbor plus 20%, but then you also have to offer this sacrifice to the Lord. Right? Something that would be costly, a, a ram from your flock, one of the best, right? it's got to be spotless, has got to be offered up to the Lord. It's this picture of uh, sin is costly, not only in, in relationship one with another, but before God. And someone's got to pay the price. And here it's this substitute, uh, the, right, the wages of sin being death, and here's this ram dying uh, for the sin you've committed. So we 
we see it in old covenant terms, but we make it personal for us, right? Do you see how, how costly sin is? Have you wrestled with that? Uh, not merely does it harm others, but it's also a, a break of faith, breach of faith with God. So where's our hope in the midst of this? Again, it's Jesus. And here, uh, another facet on his work, Jesus pays it all, and in so doing, restores relationship. Jesus pays the price, right? He's that, he's that ultimate uh, ram making atonement, all right? The, the, not an animal, though, the spotless son of God. Uh, dying in place of all of his people, paying the price that our sin deserves, right? Bearing that, that death, he pays the price. And you remember on the cross, he announces, it's finished. It's all accomplished. It's all paid for. Yeah, because Jesus took the death for us. He, he paid the price. And having paid the price with his own death, uh, he, he fixes and heals the, the breach of relationship. Right? Apart, from, apart from Christ, there is not only tension with one another, but more importantly, this, this break of faith with God. All right? we're, we're not in right relationship with him apart from Christ. But what Christ through his work does is he, is he dies the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Right? Exactly what the Father's plan was to heal the breach. Uh, Jesus does it by paying the price. Of course, this is why there's only one way to be right with God. Because there's only one person who paid the price. This is why it's not enough to just say, well, I'll, I'll be a good person. I'll, I'll, I'll try a little harder not to defraud people and try to be above board and be a good person. Well, that's, that's good. It's important. Do it. But, but we can't pretend like that's going to fix our relationship with God. Because there still have to be that, that ram, that the price paid to, to, to rescue us from our break of faith with God for all the sins we commit. Despite our best efforts. And Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only one. Which is why we, we put our faith in what Christ has done. Right? Have, you, have you done that? Is that your hope? You're calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? Pay that price uh, for me because I can't pay it. And of course, all who call upon the name of the Lord will, will be saved, the Bible says. We're rescued as we put our faith in him. Which brings us to our final point. Uh, God's people respond with faith. We put our faith in, in what Christ has done for us. But along with that faith uh, flows out repentance and more and more newness of life, new obedience. God provides the sacrifice to take our place. Uh, but right along with that, there, there is this uh, call in the Old Testament, yeah, but also pay back what you stole. right? And, and the one motivates the other. Uh, as, as one pastor puts it, the effect of grace on our lives is to make our hearts eager to do what's right. right? So the fact that Jesus steps in and, and, and undeserved right, grace, he pays the price for our sin, that makes us eager uh, to walk in his ways, eager to both make things right if we've wronged someone, but also live in, in newness of life. Grace motivates us, gets us excited about walking in the ways of the Lord. And the most famous example of, of restitution and newness of life in the Gospels is what we read this morning. Now, kids, remember we read that, that story of Zacchaeus? Right? Zacchaeus, wee little man, wants to see Jesus. But the real, real issue is Zacchaeus is not a good guy. Ready? Tax collector, chief tax collector, very rich. It was easy to get rich as a tax collector. <clears throat> you stole from people. 
in a kind of legalized type format, but that's essentially what you were doing. You were stealing from people. And Zacchaeus was very rich because of it. And, and you see this picture of, of grace taking the initiative, right? Jesus takes the initiative to step into Zacchaeus' home, to stepping into his life, right? There's where it begins. Uh, it begins with grace leading the way. Jesus steps into his life. But then you quickly see how that, how that flows out into a, a new life for Zacchaeus, a, a specific turning from his specific sins, Right? He says, if, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay them. And he actually ups the, ups the price, not just the 20% extra of the old covenant. He says, I'm going to pay four times, 400%, uh, he says. But then there's this general newness of life that he's committed himself to. So I'm going to give away half of what I have. Turning from his old life as a, as a taker, right? all the people in, in my world, I'm going to take from them, and now, uh, now by the Lord's help, motivated by his grace, I'm going to be a giver uh, in my world. And it's a great picture of what, of what God does uh, and intends for all of us. Right? It's not paying God for our salvation. I hope you see that in the story of Zacchaeus. Where does it start? It starts with Jesus uh, taking the initiative. Jesus, uh, grace is the first word. All right, Z- Jesus steps into his life. So that's the first step for us. Are you, has Jesus stepped into your life? Right? He's, he's entered in and washed you clean, and, and you're trusting in him. Uh, but in the, in the midst of that, and then flowing out from that, there is this call to, to live in newness of life. Uh, what the Old Covenant points to with make restitution, uh, here Zacchaeus lives it out, and it's, of course, the call for us. If there's specific uh, wrongs that we have against our neighbor, uh, specific restitution that we need to pay, then we, we, we address it. Right? If we defrauded someone, we try to make it right. And maybe there is something in your life that you need to, you need to make it right with another person. But then that, that just general transition that, that God works in us from, from life as a, as a taker, right? The people in my world, I'm, uh, what can they do for me? I'm going to just take from each one. Or to, to life now as a, as a giver. Lord, help me more and more to reflect your gift to me. Right? Jesus came not as the great taker, but as the great giver of his life. Now that grace has entered in. Lord, help me to, by your spirit, live that, uh, to, be, to be one who gives uh, to the people in my world because of what you did for me. So it's all about Christ. And, and we get a, a richer understanding of who Jesus is uh, by sometimes stepping into a strange world, even the, even the strange world of the old covenant with its ceremonial laws and provisions, giving us these pictures of, well, our great problem of sin. It, it defiles us. Uh, it, it's costly, and someone needs to pay the price. And then it helps us understand just the greatness and marvelous provision of Jesus. He cleanses and he welcomes uh, his people. He pays the price, and he, and he transforms us. Uh, it's all about him and reflecting him and rejoicing in him. So let's uh, look to him in prayer now. Lord, we do thank you for your powerful, powerful grace. Your grace that's greater than all our sin. And we, and we do indeed cry out to you. Have mercy on us, sinners. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to reflect that mercy uh, in, in transformed lives more and more. Uh, Lord, help us in the places where we're weak. Uh, help for Christ to be bigger and bigger in our hearts. Uh, and to be reflected in our lives, we pray. 
we look to you uh, as our King and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.